We should, uh, we should be thankful for all the many blessings the Lord has allowed us to partake of. Uh, and one of those blessings is the Word of God. I, I praise the Lord that He has trusted us with His Word that we might be able to study it and know it and, and find our way uh, to kingdom living to do those things that God has called us to do. So open your Word of God, open your Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 9 as we continue our study on 1 Corinthians uh, right now looking at God's authority in the church in different areas and uh, today we're looking at, at God's authority to defend his messengers to stand behind those that he's called and, and minister through them you know one of the great things about serving the Lord is it never abandons isn't that wonderful you know oftentimes you may get called into service in the worldly sense to do certain things and somebody says here is your task now go and do it and you just have to go and, and take care of it on your own. In the workplace, you might be given an assignment and trusted to fulfill that assignment without any help or intervention from anybody else. If you are a soldier, you may be equipped with a, a, a mission and given all the equipment you need and sent off into battle, and you may come back and you may not, depending on, on how you stand. And, and, and that commanding officer may never be able to step in and, and intervene in any way. But when you are called to serve the Lord, the Lord serves with you. Amen. When you are called to serve the Lord, the Lord will send you into battle and equip you for that battle. But He's going to be with you every step of the way. He may send you on an assignment, on a mission or a task, but He is going to be with you in that task. And His Word is available to you and His Spirit is accessible to you and His encouragement is always there for you. And that is one of the great things about serving the Lord is that He doesn't throw us out to a task and leave us there to do it on our own, but He stands with us. And in the passage of Scripture we're going to look at today, Paul is defending his discipleship, I mean his apostleship. He's defending uh, his office in the church and the calling that the Lord has put upon his life. But he's also encouraging the, the church to participate in that work, to do the, the work that God has put before them to do as well. So uh, that in mind, if you have your Bibles open, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, stand with me. And we're going to read down through verse 18. Now keep in mind, Paul is answering questions to the church. He's, he's, he's explaining some things to them. And, and he gets into, in chapter 8, the thing about the conscience and about the food and things that are called into question. And he starts it with this question. He says, am I not an apostle? Am I not free? Have I not seen Jesus Christ our Lord? Are you not my work in the Lord? If I am not an apostle to others, yet doubtless I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. My defense to those who examine me is this. Do we have no right to eat and drink? Do we have no right to take along a believing wife, as do also the other apostles, the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working? Whoever goes to war at his own expense, who plants a vineyard and does not eat of its fruit, or who tends a flock and does not drink of the milk of the flock. Do I say these things as a mere man? Or does not the law say the same also? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. Is it oxen God is concerned about? Or does he say it all together for our sakes? For our sakes, no doubt, this is written, that he who plows should plow in hope 
And he who threshes in hope should be partaker of that hope. If we have sown spiritual things for you, is it a great thing if we reap your material things? If others are partakers of this right over you, are we not even more? Nevertheless, we have not used this right, but endure all things lest we hinder the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that those who minister the holy things eat of the things of the temple and those who serve at the altar partake of the offerings of the altar? Even so, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should live from this gospel. But I have used none of these things, nor have I written these things uh, that it should be done so, done so to me. For it would be better for me to die than that anyone should make my boasting void. For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of. For necessity is laid upon me. Yes, woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this willingly, I have a reward. But if against my will, I have been entrusted with a stewardship, what is my reward then? That when I preach the gospel, I may present the gospel of Christ without charge, that I may not abuse my authority in the gospel. Father, we pray that we can preach the gospel. Pray that we might preach your word clearly and accurately as it applies to our lives. And Lord, that we might see the truth of it as it applies. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. That's a mouthful, isn't it? I mean, if that's the first time you've read through that, you're kind of going, what? Hopefully it's not the first time you've read through it, but, but if it is, if it's unfamiliar, that's why we have preaching. That's why we have church. That's why we study the Word of God. That's why I'm thankful that the Lord has laid upon my heart to go through the book of 1 Corinthians because I would have never picked this passage of Scripture to preach on. I, I would have never woke up one morning and said, you know, boy, I'd sure like to preach on 1 Corinthians 9 where Paul defends his apostleship. That'd be a wonderful Sunday morning sermon right there. But in God's wisdom, God has laid out his word that we might take his word and the wholeness of it, that we might seek the whole counsel of God. And as we study through a book of the Bible, as I've said before, there are things that we're going to tackle that we may not have tackled on our own. But understand, when this letter was written to the Corinthians, it was a letter. And it was written from, from one word at the beginning to the last word at the end. And they would stand publicly and read this letter all the way through. Can you imagine how some of the ones reading this very letter felt when they began to read out loud to the congregation, Paul defending his apostleship against the very people who may have been reading the letter. Did I lose you? Huh? How would you like to read a letter of somebody criticizing you publicly to everybody else? Anybody? Any volunteers? No. But yet that's what they were having to do. They were standing up publicly proclaiming these things that Paul was writing to them. And the first thing we see here is, is the rights and responsibilities of those that are called. See, apparently there was some, some things going on. Remember, Paul is defending his calling here. You remember way back in the, the in 1 Corinthians, it was talking about the division that was going on. And some people were saying, I am of Apollos and I am of Paul. And, and, and you know, the real Holy Ghost, I am of Jesus. You know, and they're, they're, they're defeating the purpose of the gospel by causing division. 
And in, in dismissing Paul as an authority, as a, a, a leader in the church, they were basically saying that he was not fit to lead. Now, why would they do that? Well, you look at all that was going on in the Corinthian church. We've talked about the adultery. We've talked about the, uh, the, 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 uh, all the sin that was taking place, the division among them, the, uh, the, the dismissal of the right uh, of the, the engaging in the Lord's Supper in the right way, uh, the neglect of worship. There's all these things going on. What do we tend to do when we are doing things wrong? We tend to find what's wrong with other people. So instead of listening to what Paul said, what's going on is there are some people in the church that have begun, to say, have begun to say, you know what, Paul, you know where he comes from? He's a Pharisee. You know what his background is. Do you know what he used to do? He used to kill people. He used to go around and arrest people for being Christians. Why in the world should I listen to Paul? You know, I'd rather listen to somebody. Paul's, not, Paul's nothing. Now, you may not have ever engaged in that, but that still goes on today. When somebody is in authority speaking the truth of God over you, oftentimes it's easier to pick apart what's wrong with that person instead of taking the truth of the Word of God and applying it to our lives. Ouch. Mm. You ever been kicked in the chest by a mule? Me either, but that's what that feels like when I, when I say that out loud, because I have done that. Look, I'm guilty of that. I've listened to the truth of the gospel preached and said, well, you know, I don't have to listen to that guy because such and such and such and such. Don't judge me. You've probably done it too. Amen? There are times in our lives where we dismiss the word of God because of the messenger. Now listen to me on this, which is hard to do since I'm the messenger, it's hard anyway. <laughs> we are not to weigh the truth of Scripture by the one bringing the Scripture. Now that's not to say that there are, people, there are ways to be unfit uh, to be in the pulpit. You know, there are things clearly in Scripture that says, hey, you should not be in the leadership and for this, this, and this. So, so don't get me wrong. But if the truth of God is being preached, if the Word of God is being opened, you should be able to find truth in the Word of God. Amen? Despite the fallacies of the one that is bringing the message. But anyway, Paul is not in the wrong. Paul's not in, in, in any way been, been called out uh, justifiably. Paul hasn't wronged the church in any way. So Paul is defending his ministry. And there are four points of defense in this first opening uh, statement here. He says, am I not an apostle? Am I not free? Have I not seen Jesus Christ our Lord? Are you not the, my work in the Lord? There are four things there, he says. Now these are, you know, these are not questions that he's expecting an answer to. The obvious question is, yes, he is an apostle. Yes, he is, is free. Yes, he has seen the Lord. Yes, they are evidence of his work. So here's the thing. Here's the four points of him defending his ministry. Number one, he has been called to serve. He basically tells the church, you didn't call me. Jesus called me. Think about that for a second. There, the one issue that we have in the modern church 
is that there are a lot of what, what we call at seminary and places like that, mama called preachers. You know what that is? That's some kid that come up in church and mama said he'd make a real fine preacher and to make mama proud, he began to try to preach a Bible. Well, I want to tell you, if you are not called a Bible to do something, then you're setting yourself up for failure. Uh, 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 that doesn't mean you can't share testimony, you can't bring a devotion, things like that. But if you are not called to that office, don't proclaim to be in that office. Paul said, am I not an apostle? Yes, he was an apostle. An apostle, by definition in, in Scripture, is one who is, is called personally of Christ to serve. There, there are only a handful of apostles, genuine apostles in the Bible. That are the 11 disciples besides uh, Judas. And Paul, those are the only true apostles. Those are the ones personally called face-to-face from Jesus Christ. Uh, that's my, what, what I believe the Bible def- de- defines it as anyway. And he says, this is my office. This is my calling. So he says, you can't question the calling that God has placed on my life. I want to tell you there are people that are called sometimes that you and I would not have called. But God called them. You and I would not have looked at John the Baptist and say, man, that is a tremendous example of godliness right there. This guy out here with the, the, the dreadlocks and camel hair waiting out in the middle of the Jordan River. Boy, that's a fine example of it. We, we wouldn't have called that guy. We wouldn't have called Paul. We'd have took one look at his resume and said, uh-uh, I don't want none of that. But God had called So here's his defense. He's defending his calling. Secondly, he's defending his choice to serve. He says, am I not free? Nobody was putting a a, a knife to his neck, making him serve the Lord. He chose to serve the Lord in this way, to go and to, to, to pursue the calling that the Lord had put upon his life. Have I not seen Jesus Christ, my Lord? This is his testimony. They were questioning his testimony. You have a story this morning that nobody else has. Several months ago, we, we, we went through that. We talked about sharing our stories. Several people came and, and shared their testimonies. You have a story that nobody else has. And Paul says, you can't question my story because it's my story. I've met Jesus. I met him on the road to Damascus. And he loved that story. He told it over and over and over again. And he defended his work. He basically said, if I'm not who I claim to be, how are you who you claim to be? Because it is God working through Paul that came to Corinth, that planted the church, that saw people get saved as they began to grow. And then they began to grow away from the things of the Lord. So Paul's defending his calling there and he's silencing the criticism. Verse 3. My defense to those who examine me is this. Do we, have, do we not have a, a right to eat and drink? Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife as do the other apostles and brothers of the Lord and Cephas? Don't these guys all do that? Why, why are we not to do that? What is he doing here? So one of the great challenges of ministry, whatever your ministry, I'm not talking just a pastor in the pulpit, but whatever your ministry, but in particular that, that, that is criticism. When you stand up to publicly proclaim the word of God, you open yourself up to be criticized. That's why there are so many silent people in the church. Amen. That's a good place to amen because otherwise you're proving that you're silent. That's a, huh? 
There are so many silent people in the church because we don't want to open ourselves up to criticism. We don't want to, to, to put our lives under the microscope of the world because we know what's wrong with us. But guess what? God knows what's wrong with you. Yet he loves you anyway. Yet he calls you anyway. Yet he saves you anyway. Yet he will use you as he sees fit. You wouldn't have to dig real deep to find all kinds of things wrong with me, especially in the past. I did a funeral this week and one of the guys came up to me and said, boy, we found some pictures of you. I'm like, oh. So guess what, though? All that's under the blood. The Lord forgives. But immediately when, when look, and I'm just going to use the pulpit as an example because that's where I work, all right? Immediately when the pastor stands in the pulpit and says something to you that convicts you of sin in your life, you immediately want to turn it around and say, well, what about him? I'm going to let you in on something this morning. Paul did not have to answer for the Corinthian church. Paul had to answer for Paul. I don't have to answer for your sin. I have to answer for mine. You don't have to answer for my sin. You have to answer for yours. So here's the thing. Where am I going with this? Paul is silencing the criticism. He's saying that, that you can criticize me, you can say whatever you want to say, but I know that this is what God has called me to do, and I have the right to depend upon the Lord for his provision. See, they were apparently critical of Paul for several reasons. One is, is the, the provision. There are some that, that think that ministers and their families are supposed to maintain some kind of vow of poverty. That, that, that if you're serving the Lord, you better be, be broken, miserable. You know, because everybody likes a broken, miserable guy. Amen? That's, no. I, I know a real legitimate story of this, this very thing. Bear with me in this. There was a pastor who got a really good deal on a used Cadillac. Just a couple of years old. Power everything. Plush interior. Nice, nice automobile. That he, get, that he found for a really good price. Bought that Cadillac and came under all kinds of criticism. Oh, that preacher, well, he spent all kinds of money, you know, kind of people fussing. Man ended up selling the Cadillac, buying a Buick that was not in good a shape and not, didn't look as nice, that cost more to shut people up. Now, now that's a true story. Wasn't me. I just told him to show up anyway. But that's another, anyway, I'm kind of uncouth like that sometimes. Um, but, but a lot of times people do that. They, they criticize the ones who are, are trying to bring the, the, the truth, that are trying to bring the scripture, that are trying to open up their eyes to the things that are there. And, and instead of doing that, they go home. And look, there's, there's some of you in here, and I know it, that, that you have gone home. I hope it ain't been in the last nine years, but you go home and have a barbecue preacher for lunch. Things have happened, and you've gone home and, you know, fuss and grumble and gripe, and, and if it's about me, that's all right. But if it ain't, you know, that's all right, too. The Lord knows. But they were critical of Paul, and they did not want to provide, and they were critical of him that uh, they didn't want his priorities to be what they were. 
Now, Paul has said that he was single. He's made that very clear. He was a single guy. So when it says, can we not believe along or bring along a believing wife, is that just for me and Barnabas? Apparently, Barnabas was married. Wanted to bring his wife along as they ministered in the churches, and, and people had a problem with that. But somehow in the church, somehow in our, our thinking, we tend to see our needs as greater than the needs of others. With me, give me a little nod if you, if you understand. We tend to see our needs as greater than the needs of other people. And, and if, if we think somebody should be in one place and they're in another place, then we question that. Why weren't they here for me instead of being over there for them? Am I being too general? Do I need to give you some specifics? Well, I'm not going to. Anyway, but... Too tempted to name names. No. Um, but but we, what, what, if, what Paul's saying and what I'm trying to, to, to glean out of this comes down to, to a head in verse 7. Look at verse 7 there. Whoever goes to war at his own expense, who plants a vineyard and does not eat of the fruit, who tends a flock and does not drink of the milk of that flock. Basically, Paul is saying, look, this is a cooperative work. God called me to be an apostle. He called Barnabas to come alongside and minister. He called us to go and spread the gospel throughout the, the known world. And you are evidence of that apostleship. You have gotten saved through some of the work that God has called us to do. Now we're asking you to support that work as we go and minister to other people. So basically he's saying some are called to minister and some are called to support that ministry. Got one of those in, in the pew in front of you. That's a Lottie Moon Christmas offering for international missions. When I first got saved, I said, Lord, I'll go anywhere you want me to go. You want me to go to Africa, India, China, I don't care. I'll go wherever you want me to go. He kept me right here at home. Or ended up back right here at home. Which is anywhere he wanted me to go. That's all right. That's within the realm of possible. But some people are called to international missions. And even though I'm not called to international missions, guess what? I have the opportunity to help those that are called to international missions. That's called what we call in the church, it's a real $3 theological word called cooperation. That somebody is going to minister and we can get behind them in that ministry. It says that you can minister in China and India and Africa and wherever else, right where you are by supporting somebody who's doing that work, which brings me to point number two. Not only do we see Paul talking about the rights and responsibilities of those that are called, but then he talks about the accountability and the actions of the church. He says, if this is my office, if this is what I've been called to do, and you as a church are called to come alongside and be an encouragement, here's how that plays out down in verse eight. He says, do I say these things as a mere man or do I say these things uh, or, or does not the law say also the same thing? Here's basically what he says. I'm telling you that you have the opportunity to support those that are ministering, not because I'm looking for a handout or because I'm looking for you to do something, but because that's what God's word says. As a pastor, that's what I'm guilty of a lot of times. Lord, I don't want to talk about that. I don't want to talk about this. I don't want to talk about this. People are going to think we're asking for something. No, I'm just reporting to you what the Word of God says. You do with it what you will. And that's what Paul says. Is this not what the Word says? 
He says, does it not say that you are not to uh, muzzle the oxen while it treads out the grain? That means a lot to each and every one of you here this morning. How many of you have an oxen at home? You take it out every day to tread out the grain. Okay, I thought so. Now, it doesn't mean a whole lot in our common, uh, our, our modern vernacular. But what does that mean? It means that, that this is what took place among the people of Israel. They would get all the grain together. They didn't have threshing machines. So they would get the oxen to come through and pull a log behind them that rolled over these, these, this grain and separated the grain from the chaff and so on and so forth. But they were not to muzzle the oxen as he was doing that because the oxen should have been able to eat while he was treading out the grain. So Paul says, is, he, is, is the Lord that concerned about oxen? Basically, he said they're all full of bull. Am I, am I stretching that too far? Uh, but he, he tells him, he says, am I concerned about, no, we're concerned about the work of the church. He said, should not those that, that are ministering in the church benefit from the ministry of that church and to, and, and to be cared for and so forth? It is not from the messenger, but from the word of God. But here's the benefit to the church. It is being part of a bigger plan. Verse 10. Said, or does he say this for altogether for our sakes? For our sakes, no doubt this is written, that he who plows should plow in hope, and he who threshes in hope should be a partaker of this hope. If we have, have sown spiritual things for you, is it a great thing if we reap material things? Well, he's saying that we are all part of a big plan of God. And if we're not doing our part of the plan, then the plan begins to fall apart. If we're not supporting those that are, are, are moving and ministering and preaching and doing these things, then we have not done the part that we are called to play. So we should prioritize. First part of verse 12 there says, if others are partakers of this right over you, are we not even more? Basically, he's calling them to action. He's saying we should support, we should support the Lord's work and support the Lord's workers. Now, here's a very practical application in the modern church, okay? That we are called as church members to tithe of our income. The Bible commands that, that we are to be tithers, that we are to give a tenth of what we earn into the, the storehouse of the church. Now, I don't say that. The Bible says that. All right? And then we are to be generous and give generously. The Bible says that the Lord loves a, a cheerful giver to those that are ministering. Things like Lottie Moon Christmas offering. Things like uh, children's home. Things like ministries that you support out on your own. That you are to give to and support and encourage in that way. Well, that is where we work. That is where you working in your, your daily life translates into the work of the church. And I forget to say that sometimes. You know it? I, I got saved in 1996. And, and I... I don't even remember how it happened, but I remember that, that Amy and I said, well, we're going to trust the Lord with what we have, and we're going to tithe. Whatever we get, we're going to tithe off of it, because that's what he said to do, and we've done that for, ever how long that is? Well, it's 18 years. All right? And never really even think about it. And I'm going to tell you, I hate to preach about money. I hate to talk about money. But it's in the Bible, so I have to. And oftentimes we come in and we... we and I am guilty as a pastor of not teaching that. But it should be taught. Because if I don't teach it from the Word of God, then you're missing out on an opportunity to see God work in the finances that you have. So here's Paul. He's saying that 
what you have is the opportunity to, to minister to those that are out ministering on your behalf. This is the accountability, this is the call to action of the church. He said, but even if you don't, there, remember I told you there's a lot of things in 1 Corinthians where he says, this is what you're supposed to do, but even if you don't, here's what's going to happen. Here's one of those even if you don't kind of things. Nevertheless, there in the second part of verse 12. Nevertheless, we have not used this right, but endure all things lest we hinder the gospel of Christ. So point three is this. Paul says, here are the rights and responsibility of those that are called. Here's the accountability and the action that the church should take. But here is a priority in the preaching of what is commanded. Trusting the Lord's provision. Nevertheless, we've not used this right to hinder uh, to this right, but endure all things lest we hinder the gospel. In other words, he said, I'm going to trust the Lord for his provision. If you want to miss out on what God's called you to do, so be it. I'm going to do what God called me to do. And he said, if I get by on, on a shoestring, that's what I get by on. If I live on what God's given me today, that's what I'm going to do. But I'm going to do it because that is what God called me to do. Enduring all things to keep from hindering the gospel. Because that is our priority. The gospel of Jesus Christ is our priority. The, the good news of the New Testament is our priority. That old rugged cross that we sang about a little while ago is our priority. And we better preach the gospel, preach Jesus dying on the cross, preach the gospel of repentance and forgiveness of sin through Calvary, or we have failed. He said, I'm going to endure whatever I have to endure as long as the gospel is not hindered. He goes on there and says, do you not know that those who minister the holy things, even things of the temple, and those who uh, serve at the altar, partake of the offerings of the altar, even so the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should live from the gospel. We should trust him and what he's, what he's given, that we might stand firm and, and, and live on what he provides. Verse 15, but I have used none of these things, nor have I written these things to you that it should be done so to me. For it would be better for me to die than that anyone should make my boasting void. What is he saying there? That the message is greater than the messenger. Praise God. He said even if the messenger dies, the message has to keep going. It'd be better for me to lay down my life and cease to exist upon this earth than you to have any reason to speak evil against the gospel of Jesus Christ because of me. That's power. That's overwhelming. Verse 16. For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of. For necessity is laid upon me. Yes, woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. Shame on me. Not shame on you, not shame on anybody else, not shame on the Corinthian church for, for their selfishness, not, not shame on anybody else for holding back from what God has, has called them to do, but shame on me if I do not preach the gospel. That's overwhelming. Because if God has given you the cure to sin, death, hell, and the grave, and you do not speak of it, Woe unto you. Paul said, I have no choice in this matter. I have no, I have no recourse. I have to preach. 
And either I'm going to preach it because I want to or I'm going to preach it because I have to. But either way, it's going to get preached. And verse 17 says, if I do it willingly, I get a reward. If I do it against my will, I've been entrusted with a stewardship. Either way, it's going to get done. What's my reward then? That when I preach the gospel, I may present the gospel of Christ without charge, that I may not abuse the authority of the gospel. What is he saying? That the word of God is heaven. That the responsibility to minister through the gospel of Jesus Christ is amazingly overwhelming. But that God has trusted the hands of Paul to write these letters. The mouth of Paul to preach these words. And for 2,000 years, he has put it in the hands of men. That we might minister it in the church. That we might take the truth and live it that souls might be saved.